going to uh, teach the Word of God, and we'll read lots of Scripture as I go along. In these several weeks, we are ministering the Word of God strategically in themes of prayer, and we are also praying together as a church family, and I appreciate you teaching and preaching along with myself, Brother Joel, Brother Drew will be teaching in a couple Wednesday nights and uh, staying with us. On the 29th of March, I taught on renew, the renewal of our mind, our spirit, our strength, and our vision. Last Wednesday night, Brother Joel taught on the theme of agree, that we are to agree with God's will, our mission to reach the lost. We are to agree with God's way, his method of accomplishing his work through prayer and fasting. He focused on the book of Nehemiah, by the way. Agree with God's wishes or the way he goes about it to be unified as a church and agree with God's work to build up the kingdom of God at any cost. Tonight, I want to speak on the theme of engage, engage. And I, I trust that we'll get this. There is, a, there is an effect uh, called the bystander effect. It is a paralyzing phenomenon that causes people to do nothing in a crisis such as an assault. I preached a message on uh, August 28th last year called Connect, and I used just a, a portion of this idea. But psychologists say that there's a perceived diffusion of responsibility. When there's a crowd, no one thinks it's their responsibility. Bystanders believe that someone else should intervene. The bystander effect or the Genovese syndrome is a social psychological phenomenon that refers to cases where individuals do not offer any means of help in an emergency or to the victim when other people are present. It's not my job, they think. Someone else will do it. I, I thought about this, and as I was walking out the door to come into the sanctuary, I jotted on an index card. It reminds me of the priest and the Levite when that man fell among thieves. They saw his dilemma but did nothing about it. So this effect, this syndrome, I also preached about this in a sermon called the bystander syndrome on September 8th, 2011. That was a minute ago. It was based on what Obadiah wrote about the people that did not help their blood kin. Obadiah 1 in 10, because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and be destroyed forever. For when they were invaded, you stood aloof. This is the New Living Translation. Refusing to help them, foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem and you, Edom, you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You didn't fight against them. You just stood by and watched them die. This Genovese effect or syndrome is based on a true account of a woman named Kitty Genovese on March 13th in 1964. She was 28 years of age. She was coming home from work. It was very late, 3 o'clock in the morning. She was stabbed to death by a serial rapist and murderer 
on her way back to Queen's apartment that she lived in. According to the newspaper accounts, the attack lasted for about half an hour, during which time Genevieve screamed and pleaded for help. The murderer attacked Genevieve and stabbed her, then fled the scene after attracting the attention of a neighbor. The killer then returned minutes later to finish the assault. Newspaper reports after Genevieve's death claimed that 38 witnesses watched the stabbings and failed to intervene or even contact the police until after the, con the attacker fled and Genevieve had died. Now we read about this all the time in the news these days where people stand by and do nothing. The truth is the probability of help has, is inversely related to the number of bystanders. The, number, the more people are watching, the less likely anybody's going to do anything. It reminds me of some big churches. The mere presence, I know this is a Sunday sermon, not a Wednesday sermon, because everybody on Wednesday and watching online is typically engaged in our church. But the mere presence of other bystanders has it greatly decreases intervention. These bystanders just always think that someone else is going to do it. They don't interpret it as a problem. If no one else is doing anything, maybe it's not so bad or there's this diffusion of responsibility. I've often referred to the modern church as a spectator sport, like a football game, where 70,000 people desperately in need of exercise are watching 22 men desperately in need of rest. Up in the stands, armchair quarterbacks, they know everything that should be done, but they couldn't run 20 yards if they had to. So the modern church, you, me, Atlanta West, needs to come out of the spectator stands, get on the field of ministry play, and engage, amen, engage in what God is doing. We cannot rely on someone else to do what we can do and should do. I'm going to sidetrack a moment. I jokingly say that I am the trash man. If I see trash on the floor, I pick it up. My first job, the rule was, pick it up, don't pass it up. When I left Sunday, the bathroom lights were on, I turned them out, and the men's trash paper towels were stacked to the top. It was Easter Sunday. We typically have somebody cleaning all the time. I'm sure that happened in the last five minutes. But why on earth did somebody not have a, the Holy Ghost and just push those paper towels down? Because I lost mine, not really. The very last thing before I left on Easter Sunday. I'm joking, but the bystander syndrome, we pay people to do that. Some volunteer is going to come take care of that, so it's not my job. I was taught that you never say, it's not my job. Amen? If you're a business owner, you should be shouting, running the aisles right now. 
So engagement, everybody please say engage. engage. To engage, it's to promise or pledge oneself. To enter into an obligation, to become bound to an obligation or responsibility. It means to embark in a business, to take part of, not to be recruited, but to enlist, to sign up, to help. You employ yourself, you sign up. It's to enter into the conflict. Uh, in the Bible, this is used quite often to engage the battle, to, to sign up, to not just stand by, but to get involved. It also carries the idea of to be in gear, like gears that are working together, or cog wheels that are working together to make something happen. Everybody please say, engage. Engage by working, engage by giving, engage by encouraging, engage by spiritual warfare. I mentioned it last Wednesday night, Brother Joel spoke primarily from the book of Ezra, not the book of Joel, but the book of Ezra. Tonight, I want to speak from the, mostly the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries. Their books are interrelated. The setting of the book of Ezra, Ezra 1 and 1, is that the king of Cyrus, or Cyrus, excuse me, king of Persia, uh, has a, a God moment. God speaks to him, and he stirs up the spirit of this pagan king Cyrus of Persia. And he makes a proclamation throughout his kingdom, and he puts it in writing. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me. God has engaged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. This is astonishing, but we know that God rules in the affairs of men. And we've read about uh, the book of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, how in his pride, God abased him. So now pagan King Cyrus is working for God, and he's going to implement the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Just a month or two months ago, February 5th, I preached a message entitled Finish, and I gave a pretty thorough overview of the book of Ezra. So I'll refer to a few things about that, that theme of Ezra, but if you want to remind yourself of more details, you'll have to go all the way back to February 5th and re-watch or listen to the message finished. It was about finishing the work. So anyway, this is the idea. I want to just give you some highlights to focus on these four ideas, these four things. The first is to engage by working. Everybody please say working. Cyrus provided provision, the money, and he also gave permission. It would be like Cyrus giving the building permits but someone has to go to the job site and do the job. So Cyrus in Ezra 1 and 3 says this, Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build 
the house of the Lord God of Israel, for he is the God which is in Jerusalem. Now Cyrus in his pagan mind didn't really understand that he's the God of the whole earth. But God's speaking to him to go build. Go to Jerusalem, build the house of the Lord. We're glad that God is working miraculously to make this happen. But someone has to roll up their sleeves and start working, start building, has to engage. Amen. Thankfully, in our Imagine campaign, we're not anticipating that our church men and women will have to be heavily involved in physically building the church. We won't be involved so much in the construction pro uh, process. I'm sure there will be work to be done. Maybe there'll be some cleanup days, some work around the church days, and you'll get a text message. Uh, it might come from Brother Jury or the church generally to invite you to come, and I hope that you will engage in those moments, if at all possible, and not say, it's a big church. Someone else will go. I think I'll just be a bystander. Amen. You've got to engage in the work. That's my point. That's Ezra's point. Someone has to get up and go back to Judah and build the house of the Lord. Get out of the stands. Get down on the field. We do not need people standing idly by in the marketplace while others are bearing the burden in the heat of the day. We need everyone to find their place in the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry, to sign up and show up when there is work to be done. Amen. And once again, I know that this is probably a Sunday sermon for folks who may come and go on Sunday. So this is what happened in verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers. Ezra 1 and 5 on the screens. Then rose up the chief of the fathers, Judah and Benjamin, the priests and Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. They engaged in building. They were called by Cyrus to go, and they actually got up and went. Now, in a practical way, hopefully everything is practical. Uh, most practical things in the world are good principles. Principles are not aloof from practice. The greatest need in our church is for people to work in the harvest fields of lost souls, to connect on common ground with unsaved people, to teach them a Bible study, to build a relationship with them, to help them find God in salvation by obeying Acts 2.38. And then to walk with them through the discipleship process until they are established in their faith so they can go to heaven and not go to hell. Amen. And if we have physical work days, that's really not the essence of this point, but I trust that you will sign up and show up. Someone has to leave their home in Babylon and go to Judah to build the house of the Lord. But not everybody could go and not everybody would go. What if you're not physically able to go? What if you're not able to leave Babylon? Well, King Cyrus says, there's a place for you. King Cyrus in verse 4. Ezra 1 and 4. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth. So you're in Babylon or 
one of the provinces. Let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts besides the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. If you can't go, then give. Amen. Amen. In missionaries, we say some give by going and some go by giving. So those who were still in the Babylonian provinces dug down deep and they financed the trip and the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 6. And all they that were about them strengthened their hand with vessels of gold. Now in verse 4, verse 5 rather, 4 rather, Cyrus tells him to do this. In verse 6, they do it. They strengthen their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. Ezra 2, 68 says, And some of the chief of the fathers, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to set it up in his place. They gave after their ability under the treasure of the work three score and one drams of gold and 5,000 pounds of silver, 100 priests' garments. In our modern vernacular, 61,000 gold coins, 6,250 pounds of silver, and a 100 nice suits for the priests to wear when they worked in the temple. The leaders engaged and gave freely. They gave according to their ability, the Bible says. In verse 69, they gave after their ability. That really is the biblical pattern of giving. You don't give beyond your ability. You give according to your ability. 2 Corinthians 8.12 tells us that there has to be a willing mind and then God understands that we give according to what we have and not according to what we do not have. If you don't have to give, you give the widow's mites or whatever God lays on your heart that is good stewardship, that is sacrificial, that is a step of faith. So some engage by working, others engage by giving, some by both, they went back to work and they gave. The next point is to engage by encouraging, encouraging. Now, I've learned, like the bystander syndrome, it is really easy to stand on the sidelines and criticize someone who's actually doing the work. And I've observed that the greatest critics are typically either lazy or they're looking for an excuse to not do anything so they criticize everybody else, but they're not willing to risk getting involved. It might fail. It might not succeed. It's not going to go like it was planned. So I'm going to stand on the sideline. I'm not going to cheer. I'm going to jeer. And I'm going to just kind of criticize what's going on. But in this story, in Ezra, there were people who encouraged the work. Now, Throughout the book, and I'm going to summarize a lot here right now, they suffered a lot of setbacks, outright attacks. The work ceased for a long period of time. But then there were the encouraging voices of the prophets, Ezra 6 and 14. And the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered 
through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they built it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah spoke words of prophecy, encouragement, and comfort. There were mixed in words of correction and rebuke that were needed. Haggai prophesied for about five months. Zechariah for two years. In Zechariah 4, the Bible said, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Zechariah comes in with the word of prophecy and encouragement to strengthen the work. He is engaged in encouraging the work. Haggai, Haggai 1 and 13, the Lord speaks to him and says, I'm with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people, they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. So in spite of all that opposition, when somebody stood by and said, you can do this, God is in it, we're for you, encouragement is very powerful. I don't have it in my notes, but God spoke to Moses about Joshua and said, I want you to encourage him in the work. It is literally to give courage. When you speak words of encouragement, you infuse courage in the heart of a person to do what God has called him to do. Encouragement is not flattery. You cannot overdose on encouragement. We all need a lot of it. Amen. At a time when David was opposed and the people spoke of stoning him, the Bible said that he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's good. And that's bad. It's good that he encouraged himself. It's bad that everybody else was trying to stone him because of a perceived failure instead of saying, if we really want this to succeed, why don't we strengthen the hands of our leader instead of stoning him? Thank God for people who speak faith in the future and engage in encouraging. Amen. So please say engage by encouragement. Amen. The fourth point, the final point, is to engage by spiritual warfare. Amen. Praise God. There's one verse that captures the essence of Ezra's spiritual warfare in Ezra 8 and 23. There are numerous verses in Ezra, and I'll relate some of them. But Ezra 8, 23. So we fasted and besought our God for this and was entreated, and he was entreated of us. Prayer and seeking God was needed. The adversaries of the Jews tried to permanently stop the work on the temple. The Bible said in Ezra 4 that they weakened the hands 
of the people. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. They tried to infiltrate so they could weaken the work. Then they tried intimidation tactics. They tried to get the law against the people trying to build. They tried to discourage them, to harass them, to make them afraid. And because of this intimidation, the work was stopped and it was discontinued. It was suspended for about 15 years, 15 years. But Ezra encouraged the work by spiritual warfare. There's some verses that speak of this. Ezra 7.10, he prepared his heart to the Lord. Ezra 8.21, he proclaimed the fast. They afflicted themselves before God to seek a right way for us. Ezra 8.23, the verse I read, they fasted and sought the Lord. Ezra 10 and 1, Ezra prayed and confessed with weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. Ezra and his people engaged in spiritual warfare. They worked, they gave, they encouraged, but they also knew that this was spiritual. Amen. And here's what I know, that everything we do is spiritual. I've taught through the years the superiority of the spiritual. That spirituality is not just another dimension, it's a higher dimension. It's a superior dimension. And it affects and changes the natural world. A miracle occurs when God suspends the laws of nature, amen? And God can intervene whether it is hunger or sickness or sin or the economy. God rules in the affairs of men in every aspect, in every facet of life. Amen. Everything we do is spiritual. Now, I don't mean to imply that everything we do is inherently spiritual. Everybody has to cut grass, clean their campus, do administrative tasks, work in production. I don't know that our, our people working the sound just feel this anointing flowing through their fingers when they turn it up for you and turn it down for your neighbor. That doesn't feel spiritual in itself, right? Working in production. You know, but you could also say that just singing a song is not inherently spiritual. Nor is playing an instrument. Nor is holding a microphone and saying words. People do that all the time. And it's not necessarily spiritual. But what we do is ultimately spiritual. It affects the spiritual world. It affects eternity. It affects the building of the house of God in Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. So Ezra knew it's, you've got to go and do the work. You need to give for the work. We need to encourage the workers, but we can't just do that. Somebody's got to pray and fast. Somebody's got to rediscover the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Somebody's got to dig down and got to hold this thing up by prayer and fasting. We believe that everything we do contributes to spiritual results, our collective efforts, that cutting the grass and running the sound and cleaning the building and pushing down the trash in the garbage cans, everything we do affects the ultimate end of someone going to heaven. So we pray about everything. 
Amen? We don't believe in doing anything without prayer. Praise God. Whatever you do, why would I not want the edge that comes from the Holy Ghost anointing me to do whatever I do? The safety, the protection of God. A better way to do everything we do. God has a better way. It dawned on me today that whatever brings glory to God brings grief to Satan. So he hates what we do. He despises what we do. He doesn't want the walls to be built by Nehemiah. He doesn't want Ezra to inspire the building of the temple. So of course he opposes everything we do. And that's why Ezra and Nehemiah both invested a great deal of time and prayer engaging people in the work of God. So prayer and fasting, the word and worship, our submission to God that brings great spiritual power. Amen? I taught about this several years ago. The secret weapon of spiritual warfare is submission. Because if you're not submitted to God... You cannot have power, spiritual power. Spiritual power comes by being submitted to the almighty hand of God. Amen. I know we know this verse, but though we walk in the flesh, cut the grass and do sound and, you know, say words and play music, we don't war after the flesh. Ezra knew and we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and it brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our work is started by spiritual warfare. It is sustained by spiritual warfare. It is finished by spiritual warfare. And the result of working and giving and encouraging and spiritual warfare was Ezra 6.14. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. And they built and finished it. Amen. They built it and they finished what they started because they were fully engaged. Ezra 6.15. Now the temple was finished. That was a sermon I preached. On the third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of King Darius or Darius. So, after all those years of delay and all the attacks, by being fully engaged, God did this work. And if you don't mind, would you stand right now? And you're going to see these four points and verses that support them from the book of Ezra as we pray tonight. They're going to be placing prayer request cards on the tables and in case you're new about this, we want to engage in working, giving, encouraging, engage in encouraging, and engage in spiritual warfare. And I pray that, and I pray that, and I hope that you will not let this just be a Bible study that goes by, but each of these Bible studies and prayer meetings are to bring us into alignment with what God is saying in our church. We need renewal, we need agreement, we need engagement for what God is going to do. So in case you haven't been here for a prayer meeting, let me just let you know, you'll see these prayer points on the screens. 
There will be prayer cards on the tables and pens that are there. You're welcome to fill out a prayer request card. Please circulate them. That means pick one up, pray over it, put it back down on any table. At the end of the night, please take some prayer request cards home with you. You all did a great job last Wednesday night taking them home. We're going to play some prayer music. We're going to pray. If you need to leave at a certain time, you can be dismissed. But I will formally bring us together at the end. We'll close in worship and we'll go change the world by the grace of God and by engaging in this work. Amen. Let's lift our voices to the Lord right now and praise. Then we're going to engage in prayer. Lord, I give you praise right now. I thank you, Lord, that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I pray in Jesus' name that you would let there be a conviction in our church to fully engage in this campaign, oh God, not just to build a building, but to reach lost souls and to affect the next generation. I pray tonight in the name of Jesus that you would spark our hunger, God, that you would move in us. I pray that you would activate, God, callings and burdens and things that have been latent in us, that you would help us engage more effectively and zealously in your work than ever before. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.